Well, if you brought your catechism, I hope you did. I do know one thing for certain. Um, When Dr. Stump uh, said something about the catechism, she wasn't undermining it or, you know, saying anything against it, obviously. The beauty to me was the central message, I hope you heard it, I surely heard it, of the whole day with her was this relationship with Christ. I mean, this is it. And so, even as she spoke to the questions at the end, you know, it was just the centrality of that union with Christ. And the beauty of what's in the catechism is it can help you greatly in your efforts to bring other people to Christ and just to lead you into all kinds of different ways of prayer because it's just pretty amazing. But I stand here now today with you um, very much aware of what we've just, you could say, gone through, endured, due to all of the media, but also due to what we know indeed um, is a fact. Now, I have to tell you, my own personal practice is um, I'm praying a lot for everybody. And I do believe that it's important that we realize that you know this. Everything that comes out over the media is not a fact, obviously. But there are some things that are true. And what I want to address is the fact that there are certain objective things that we know are absolutely horrifying, sad realities, which would be that of serious and grave offenses committed against both children. And I think the term they keep saying is, um, what is it? You know, it's, it's uh, adults who are vulnerable. Is that the word, you know, that's being used? But in, in general, you could say, yes, indeed. And, and our hearts go out to these people, yours do, and your prayers. And it was wonderful last night at the cathedral to see the number of people that gathered with Archbishop. And I saw, I didn't really see a lot of who was there, but I know that people from the first cohort of lay formation wrote, because we invited them, you know, special, and just, they, several were there. And... That unity in an act which we called reparation, it's kind of a word that needed to be refreshed in everybody's mind. We talk about kneeling in front of the crucifix and looking at what Jesus went through and saying part of his suffering would be these terrible offenses that have been committed right within our very church. And... It's so important to continue to recall who is the church. I I think if there's any lesson we get out of it, and it's actually a very beneficial lesson, it's to know, and it's everything Dr. Stump said, it's basically our union with the Holy Trinity who dwells within us, and our union with Christ who was sent by the Father to be sure that we could get to heaven. And he sent his son, and his son provided all these means. And when Dr. Stump was talking about, like, being a person who would be a Lutheran, 
versus the Catholic, I heard her say, it was just a few words, some of you would have heard it, that in the Catholic Church, she didn't say it this way, there are so many aids to bring us close to Christ. Incredible aids. And of course we have the sacraments and we know just exactly what was said, that it is indeed Jesus Christ. And you say, and who is he on this day of Mary's birthday? And he is literally he who grew in her womb, but who was God all the while. And now who went to heaven and who's still man, even while he went to be with the Father and the Holy Spirit and all of our beloved and all the saints. And it's this amazing reality. But you say, but you are a temple of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, but also a temple of the Holy Trinity. What does that mean? Well, you can't be anywhere except with one foot in heaven. Now, that's not changed by all these horrible facts, all the terrible things that happened. It's not changed by one bit. And I just thought at the time, wow, isn't it amazing the church has so consistently taught us it is not the holiness of the minister that determines whether or not a sacrament is valid, meaning that it actually does what you're told it does. For example, your sins are forgiven in confession. And if the person who is the priest would not be holy, that would not in any way affect what Christ does through that minister. All he has to do is want to do what the church wants. And so we have this incredible guarantee that the church remains with Christ the head. And that's the big picture. He is the head. He's our head. Everything we heard about today from Dr. Stump is not ignoring the reality of the sinfulness. But then there's also a real important point, and you know it. I think it's beautiful when Jesus found that woman in adultery. Remember? All these people ready with their stones, and what did he say? Whoever has no sin, pick up a stone and throw it. And I don't by that in any way mean to diminish the gravity of what has happened and that we are truly sorrowful about it and that in any way we can console, support, pray for and love those who would share with us the fact that they were offended in this way or even like generally praying like we did last night at the Basilica. We prayed for everyone and we don't know exactly every single person we were praying for. I did thank God that just like in medicine when some terrible terrible sickness is there like a wound that's filled with pus there's something really wonderful to have it broken open and then the possibility of healing to really come because before that it's not possible and it'll only get worse you know, it's small things like that, but you say, can God bring good out of something so evil? Yes. Does God want evil? Absolutely not. Never does he. Does he permit it? Oh, yes. And it's all because of what Dr. Stump was saying about, golly, like, you know, the person who asked the question about my person in my family that I wish they would come back to the church, but what can I do for them? And she said, in the end, God made us free. And making us free leaves open the whole possibility of evil. But do you realize the option or the alternative for God? What would it have been? If we didn't have us free, then we would just, how could there be love, right? And any kind of compulsion, 
there's no love. We'd just be a bunch of robots. That's no love affair. And it was pretty beautiful the way she spoke about marriage, the marriage between God and us. And uh, I'm sure, I hope you share with people and enjoy remembering the pea image with trying to force the peas down the kid's throat. But the beauty there was how she moved toward then each one of us and saying, don't we do that? And my goodness to say, it's right in the Psalms, open up your mouth and I will fill it, you know, with all goodness. And, and you say, that's all standing there alongside of this sad situation. Someone said, when it was looked at, you know, the beginning of the church and like the state of the apostles that most everybody deserted Jesus except for John. And then you have the church being founded and the Holy Spirit coming and something really incredible happening. If there was a focus, a real focus on all the evils and all the ills, the church probably never would have made it. And there's something about, this is where my personal choice came in, you know. I knew, I saw, and I I was sorrowful, and I just began to pray. And I thought, I'm not going to spend every day trying to get to the bottom of whether this one is true and that one is true, because really, does it make any difference? For me, I want to just help people get to heaven. And that won't help me get to heaven, you know, if I spend all my time and half my, you know, half my waking hours reading every single article that people want to write. So it's, it's a pretty much of a choice that you make of just how you want to focus. And then I wanted to look a little bit with you into the catechism to just see how she, the church, really is able to talk about herself. But without any um, blindness of the fact that the church is a body of sinners. The only one who is sinless, we have celebration of her birthday today and our head Jesus and beyond that there is there are none sinless so I take a few paragraphs from the catechism some of which I sent you in an email but I think probably few of you looked at it but even if you did you might not be thinking of what I think I also want to just throw this in I don't know if you go away and say wow why do we ever have a day like that with this topic, you know, the seven deadly sins and the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that that just reminds me to remind you just how much we were reminded by Dr. Stump of how much we are a temple of God and a temple of the Holy Spirit. Why did we do this? Why was it so important? Well, who are the people you most listen to that have led you to God? What kind of people are they? And you know when Dr. Stump said something like, so what is it that brings people to God? Is it scolding them? You know, all, you know when she went into all of that. And you say, probably it was that somehow, even if they never told me, I knew they had a real relationship with God. It was very evident. Somehow they had something I didn't have the same, in the same way. And it was attractive to me. And of course, we're created for this. So it's in your genes. It's like God made you for that. So as you feel yourself drawn to deeper relationship with him, it's like he just says, ah, yes, (laughs) that's what I was hoping. 
Why we had this for you today is to say at the end of these few months now till we get to April and this commissioning service that's going to be kind of a launch pad you could say. And it's interesting, I should just tell you once right now and I'll tell you a few more other times, but there isn't any certificate at the end of this lay formation program and there's no diploma, no degree. And you say, oh my gosh, I did all that for nothing? And we really very deliberately have none of those. And you know why? Because to be baptized and confirmed and receive the Eucharist, you are called into a vocation. It is a call and a mission that is very uniquely part of the mission of Christ. You share in his mission. And you have it by baptism and confirmation and Eucharist. But most people, it's like the Mercedes or the Alfa Romeo or whatever it is, is in the garage. The keys are in the kitchen drawer. And they never even get out of the garage. You'll be out of the garage at the end in April. But it's like you don't need, a, you don't need anything. And it's just, it'll be the reality of who you are. Now we thought today, isn't it wonderful to say, but my goodness, Will I believe? Will, you know, those who meet you more believe what you say because of who you are. This whole day was about who we are. But it wasn't to make us sad or worried like, yikes, how can we possibly get there? Because how many times did she mention Pelagius? That was the heretic who says, you know, I'm going to do it on my own, grunting and growing and with my own hard work. Totally ridiculous as if Jesus never came and didn't need to come. So... We felt this was so important for you because we knew you would take it into your heart, into prayer, into your life. And the beauty is you can listen to it again. Because <laughs> I don't know, I'm sure it'll enliven you again and again. Uh, I listened to the other time I listened to her at least three times. And I did not have her PowerPoint. So now this time it's just really amazing. And this is, it's different, it's unique. But it's like, it's for you. Today was just so uniquely for who you are in your relationship and that wonderful marriage she referred to. Because that's what God has called each one of us to. And if that isn't heaven, and that's why heaven starts right here. Even amidst all the suffering, and boy, it's there. We know it. We've heard it. We, we know it in our own life, and we know it in our friends. And yet, the check is in the mail. And you have to think about what does that mean? I know what it means to me. It's like the promise. It's the promise, and it's the promise of salvation. And it's the promise, I'll be with you always, and he is. So we'll look at a few little paragraphs here. And I'm just watching, make sure time-wise, I just, what time am I supposed to stop here, Judy? Okay, so we have about 12 minutes. So just to do a little bit of a look at the catechism, and just reminding you, I, okay, I'll just go with that. I want you to please just turn to 787. We're going to do that first. Number, paragraph 787. And, and after you get there, would you go back and look at paragraph 748 
So just put your finger or a piece of paper at 748, paragraph 748, and then paragraph 787. So here's, some of this is going to sound like you heard something like this from part of it from Dr. Stump today. The church, the body of Christ, that's all of us with Jesus, with everyone who's died, with the souls in purgatory. From the beginning, Jesus associated his disciples with his own life. And he revealed the mystery of the kingdom to them. And he gave them a share in his mission and his joy and his sufferings. Well, that wraps it up. That's just about everything. Because that's what we're given. Jesus spoke of a still more intimate communion between him and those who would follow him. Abide in me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he proclaimed a mysterious and real communion that's not Holy Communion we're talking about here. Real communion between his own body and ours. And now, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And this is a real union. One that we don't want to ever disappear or get weak. We want it only to grow. Now we're in the section here that says the church body of Christ, the church's communion with Jesus. The brochure that we printed, that we gave the pastor in your parish who invited you to this program, said that the primary goal of the Blade Formation Program is to foster your union and growth with and your love with Christ. And it might sound selfish, like, gee, that's just your union with Christ, but we knew that if that grows, because you're faithful in your prayer, you're faithful in reception of the sacraments, we know the rest is a piece of cake, so to speak. It's just there. We don't have to beat you over the head. The Lord leads you gently with love, and it's just, it comes. Now, if you look, I just want you to see the heading on 748 paragraph. This whole starts, out, this, par this article starts out, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, and you say, really? You know, after all the scandals. And I mean, that's what the media says. That's what all the critics say. That's what um, Catholics who don't understand the church, they look at it sort of like a um, business. You know what I mean? Like somehow that it just needs a lot of reform. There are things that need reforming, granted. And surely we're, gonna, we're praying that that is exactly part of the fruit of this. But I wanted you to see the title just above 748. I now ask you if you would please go to paragraph 787. Now that is the one we looked at. All right. Sorry. 823. 823 paragraph the heading kind of smacks you right in the eye and you say, now, how can that be stated? The church is holy. 
So you see this whole section is on, I believe, in the One Holy Catholic Church. So 823 says the church is held as a matter of faith to be unfailingly holy. And that means that what holds the church together is the basic person of Jesus Christ and his union with all the members of the body, but yet within the body there is sin, but that in no way touches Jesus' holiness. In fact, he has died that those who aren't holy will become holy. So this says, how can you say the church is holy, I say? This is because Christ, the Son of God, who with the Father and the Spirit is hailed as alone holy, loved the church as his bride, giving himself up for her so as to sanctify her. He joined her to himself as his body and endowed her with the gift of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. The church then is the holy people of God and her members are called saints. So on the next page to the right, paragraph 827, we have a saint about to be canonized, which is Pope Paul VI. This little paragraph in 827, the, the, the one that's invented, you know, that starts out that church, therefore, do you have it? That's written, if you see 302, go down to the bottom and it says Paul VI. This is a beautiful statement about the church and her holiness. Here it is. He's going to be canonized October 14th, I think. And there's somebody else, and I don't remember who it is, but he is for sure going to be canonized. And he has been within the lifetime of some of us in this room. Not that long ago. He was basically the Holy Father who picked up when St. John the Twenty-Third died during the Vatican Council in the 60s. And Paul VI came in as the Holy Father. Here's what he wrote, and he surely knew this personally and was surrounded by it. The church is therefore holy, though having sinners in her midst, because she herself has no other life but the life of grace. If they live her life, her members are sanctified. If they move away from her life, they fall into sins and disorders that prevent the radiation of her sanctity. This is why she suffers and does penance for those offenses of which she has the power to free her children through the blood of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that's what went on in the cathedral last night, was that we were doing penance. We were basically praying. And, you know, small sacrifices you can do, any prayer that you can do, it all is a part of what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, he takes it and joins it to, to his suffering and his offering to the Father. Suddenly, what you do, which seems like a little nothing, becomes consecrated. And as I've taught you before, you know about the Eucharist, it becomes present on the altar as Father is going to lift up the gifts and actually say the words of consecration. I mean, your offerings, whatever they are, you know, sometimes keeping your mouth shut when there's something that you really want to say that would not be a nice thing to say, that isn't so easy. But if you do it for love of God, that's the whole secret. I'm right now thinking that there's no way to say a whole lot right now, but I don't know if anybody wants to ask me a question possibly that you feel like is something that I haven't talked about at all that just 
people are asking, can you talk really loud? Okay. Keep talking loud. I think personally that it's going to happen on a one-on-one -on -one basis. I really do. I don't expect that suddenly, and I don't know if that's even what we would ever expect on this earth. Um, I mean, look at how Jesus was looked upon until the moment he put his arms out and died on the cross. So I don't, I think what the church right now, the church meaning all the, res the responsible leaders looking at Archbishop Carlson, what the church is interested in is literally eradicating, removing surely from ministry anybody that might be left in there, but I don't think there's a lot of possibility in this archdiocese. You know he went like straight to the attorney general and said, come look at the records. I just want you to do a thorough investigation because we want to be sure we've really gotten these people out of ministry. We, we intend not to hide anything we did not before but we want you to look, and there's plenty of other dioceses doing that. As far as the church looking good, I'm pretty sure that's probably not top on her roster of interest. I think all she cares about really truly is to be able to help, assist, offer any kind of service, counseling, prayer for those who have been so terribly injured. and. And you could say apologies seem pretty vain, but they also are necessary, you know, outright expression of sorrow for what has happened needs to come. But the part about the image of the church, I think that is probably not very important. And I say it only because somebody will come to the church not because of some image out there. It's going to be because of you. Despite all of this, the people you meet who aren't Catholic, who just see your way of life, they see how you treat people. They experience it themselves. They hear stories, um, you know, all of that. It's, the, it's literally the, the matter of the example that you're giving is going to have its effect. But your prayer will too. Those sisters in the cloister that can never even leave the cloister, I mean, their prayer, prayers are so powerful. And thank God they believe it. And that's why they pray for us. And I'm so sure that's why we have been so blessed with so many spiritual graces and benefits during these last two years and now. To read the beautiful reflections of each of you is to just marvel at what God does in the heart of a person. 
who just opens to him and it's back to that image of just there's no um, no clenching no staying away it's just like receptivity of the Holy Spirit and he's just there and it's just it's a wonderful thing to behold I mean prayer is so so important and you know you say could I go through this program and be really faithful to prayer and then just drop off well if you really are praying daily faithfully I don't think so because if you're sincerely knowing how much the Lord loves you he's just going to draw you closer you're not going to just drop off the cliff you know so and what what you're going to do at that time when it's all over I wouldn't advise that you worry about it at all because God will just take care of it it's not like um, going to be some burden it's going to be an amazing joyful something and I, I did have a few people make the remark that as I told you they're so amazed about this pastor visit and they know now why we just keep insisting because it's so important to keep that relationship pray for your good pastors oh I can't tell you how they're grieving just pray for them for their strength it's that, that's a tough thing you know I mean there's all these faithful souls who are so in service to us without whom we would not have anything so it's just we, we really need them and we need to support them but if they're honest with you um, many of them certainly have some had some really sad days and mistreatment by people too that, that's the thing just um, it's very hard for them yes <laughs> Yes, Judy, thank you. Without a doubt, the universal call to holiness, the fact that we are called to holiness, and you say, oh, that's way beyond me. How so? Not at all. It's for real. It's, it's actually the only way to live and be happy. And, and you know that. But basically, your fidelity is building the church every single day. And the beautiful priests, the sisters in the cloister, all of it. Um, just understand, the more you connect yourself with the media, the more you're going to have to then, then you just have to add things to the list of what you've got to forget about that you wish you hadn't read. And it's sort of like Dr. Stump said, I don't want to do it because I don't want it in my mind. And it's not really putting your heads in the sand at that point. It's just saying, okay, I love that. I think it's somewhat what Mary said. Father Smith at the cathedral at the end of his homily wrote and told us what I wrote in that note to you, you know, the one that said, uh, I'm not Catholic, 
because of the priests. I'm not Catholic because of the bishops. I'm not Catholic because of the Pope. I'm Catholic because of Jesus Christ. I'm Catholic because of the Eucharist. You can make your own list, but that's worth remembering. And And even say, I don't have to be ashamed I'm a Catholic. I am thanking Jesus Christ for what he did. That's why I'm Catholic. And I know what he gave us. And like, wouldn't you think, isn't it sad if you hear somebody who just says, that's it, I am out of here. You know, and you say, you're kidding. Are you going to commit suicide spiritually? Are you going to walk away from all the means of grace and salvation? I mean, you're going to leave the Eucharist? There is nothing more incredible than the fact of the Holy Eucharist. So, is this about, oh boy, we hit the end. I I just truly, truly commend you. What a beautiful, amazing day. And I hope you managed to meet somebody new today. I hope that little evaluation form kind of sparked you to catch on to finding some new people. See if you can find out what your deanery is. So then if you do, it'll be fun to have you stand up by deanery and it'd be fun just to look around and say, oh, well, you're over in that neck of the woods, you know. Um, because it's, it's impossible to do other than just, you just have to just kind of get around. So we're ready, I guess. Let me see. Oh, Russ Pauly came to me before for prayer, and I know in my long list I didn't mention that his brother has liver cancer, and so tuck him into your list. Um, his name is, he's a deacon, and his name is Jerry. So we will do that.